the pieces. Uh-huh. Pick up the pieces. Uh-huh. Ah, nothing like 70s funk. Man, that's music to groove to. How are y'all doing this morning? It's great to be here. The presence of God and the community and uh, it's just it's, it's just great. It's just great. And I love that, that baptism stuff last week was so powerful. I, I wish I could, I could give you some of the testimonies. Uh, just some real life-changing stuff. Absolutely great. Okay, the reason we had that groove on there was not just because uh, we like groovy music. We're, we're hip, you know. Uh, but uh, the, the series that we're in, we're calling Mixtapes. And uh, we're calling it that because it's just, uh, we're just preaching on passages that we groove to. Uh, kind of the, the, our favorite stuff. It's a pretty lame series if you think about it. Because it's not really on any theme. It's just whatever we want to talk on. So we call it Mixtapes. And, and, we, and we groove to it. Uh, it's a little bit like... Um, now, parishioners, bless you, you won't get this if you're out of Minnesota, but anyone here like to listen to 104.1? Uh, you like, like 104.1? Anyone else? Uh, uh, Jack FM? Yeah, it's a pretty cool station. And they just play what they want. They play what they want. They, and they make a big deal of that. Don't bother taking requests. They just play what they want. Well, that's what we're doing here. Doing our favorite stuff. Hey, before I start, I just want to make this announcement. Dave Johnson from Open Door is here with some of his friends. Where are you, Dave? Where are your hand? <laughs> yeah. Oh, here we go back a lot of years. But you're older than me. And never forget that you're old, you'll always be older than me. And um, I, we, we hang out every now and then. And what I like about Dave Johnson is I want to hang out with him. Uh, he, he's so weird that I feel normal. And so he's, he, he's like my, normal, my, my normalizer. So anyways, it's good to have you here. Um, okay, so uh, since I get to groove to whatever I want to, uh, I thought I'd like to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit here this morning. The Holy Spirit. Um, he is often called the most neglected, or referred to as the most neglected, or the most misunderstood uh, person of the Trinity. I had a uh, um, professor at Princeton uh, who was a missionary in China uh, for a while, and uh, he told a story to illustrate the difficulty of communicating about the Holy Spirit. The story was that uh, he was a teacher over there in this one class for new converts. And uh, in this classroom, they had a picture of Jesus being baptized. And so Jesus was coming up out of the water, and God the Father was like this Moses figure up in the sky with a beard. And he was sending forth the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, because that's how it's depicted in the Gospels. And as he's talking about the Trinity, at one point a student who had very broken English... Um, said to him, Honorable Teacher, um, I think I understand Honorable Father. And I think I understand Honorable God the Son. But I no understand Honorable Pigeon. <laughs> and uh, something I lost in the translation there. Honorable Pigeon. So it's, it, it's, it, it can be a confusing topic. Uh, I want to set the stage by talking a little bit about the Trinity. Okay, uh, just a quick thing about the Trinity uh, by way of review. And um, I thought we should start on a simple note, right? So the Trinity. And so all you need to know about the Trinity is that the, the, the ontological status of the pericritic relationship of the prosopon uh, ad intra is replicated by the three-four prosopon and the phenomenological status of the three persons ad extra, okay? Any questions? Any questions? That's how, if you read a book on the Trinity, that's what you're likely going to get. Here's a simpler way of understanding it. It's just God fully existing in three different ways. And he always has existed fully in three different ways. As, it's re- as he's revealed to us, here's one way of thinking about it. I, I envision the Father as sort of the, the infinitude of God. Uh, the, God's bigness, his transcendence. Um, I, I associate God the Father with sort of the expanse of space as I look into the sky on a starry night. It's just the this unfathomable mystery of God. God has always been, always will be. There's no limits. It just... 
Trick your mind around that, and it's, it blows you away. That, that's God the Father, the, the, the abyss, the mystery of God. But the character of God is perfectly revealed in the incarnate Son. This is the second way God is God. Uh, Jesus is, is the embodiment of God, and he reveals the character of the Father. He says, if you see me, you see the Father. as referring to the character that he reveals. And we know that, we can recognize that because of the Holy Spirit working in us. The Holy Spirit is, is God working in us. He softens our heart and opens our eyes so that we can see the truth. And so, Father is God in his bigness, his infinitude. Son is the embodiment of God, and God revealed the word of God. And the Spirit is God indwelling. God fully existing in three different ways. Not three parts of God, God fully existing as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that threefold way of, of relating to us corresponds to a threefold way that God is within himself. This is the essence of the doctrine of the Trinity. The, the early church, uh, uh, some early church fathers said it like this. Every movement of God toward us originates with the Father, as comes to us through the Son, especially through Christ crucified, as, as a doorway, so to speak, and then, and then is accomplished in the power of the Spirit. Here's a little drawing I came up with uh, to, to illustrate this. The God comes to us, originating with the Father, through the Son, and then grabs our hearts, uh, like hands, um, in, in the Holy Spirit. And then every movement we make towards God originates in the Holy Spirit, it goes through the Son to the Father. So from the Father through the Son, accomplished in the Spirit, and from the Spirit through the Son back to the Father. And this is how we're, we're, we're reconciled with God. This is how we're enveloped in the being of God. Uh, we, we dance with the triune God and will be with throughout eternity. Uh, that, that, in essence, is the doctrine of the Trinity. And now you have a perfect understanding of the triune God. All right? There you go. Now, let's talk about the role of the Holy Spirit within the triune God. And for, to do this, I want to groove to John 16. And I'll read verses 5 through 7 and 13 through 15. Jesus says, And now I am on my way to the one who sent me, referring to the Father. Not one, not one of you is asked, Where are you going? Instead, the longer I talk, the sadder you become. And the reason they're sad, among other things, is, is that they, along with almost all Jews of the first century, assumed that the Messiah was going to come and vanquish the Romans defeat their enemies, reinstate Israel as a sovereign nation, and then reign, set up a kingdom in Jerusalem forever and ever. That was, that was the plan. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to go away, well, this is going to be a huge disappointment. What about that kingdom you're supposed to set up? And they're thinking the end game for everything Jesus did, all the miracles, all that, that was just a prelude to him winning and then setting up his kingdom. And so if that's not the end game, because Jesus is going away, then they don't know what the end game is. So they're probably confused as well as sad. Well, Jesus is going to now give them a clue as to what's going on. He says, let me say it again, this truth. It's better for you that I leave. If I don't leave, the friend won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Now, this word friend here, it's parakletos in Greek. Um, and it can be, it mean, comforter, sometimes translated comforter, or sometimes advocate, um, or friend. It refers to someone who is on your side and is working on your behalf. So God as a friend, and I love this concept, as a friend, God comes to us and he abides in us. When we surrender our life to him, he abides in us and he's always working on your behalf. He's always in your corner. He's your advocate. He's your comforter. He's your friend. Okay, then Jesus goes on and says this. I still have many things to tell you. But you can't handle them now. Truth, you can't handle the truth. They had, they had too many preconceptions. They're screwed up. Says, Some things got to happen before you, you can be led into more truth. 
But when the friend comes, the spirit of truth, hang on that for a little bit. We'll get to that a little later. The spirit of truth. He will take you by the hand and guide you into all the truth there is. He won't draw attention to himself, but will make sense out of what is about to happen, referring to Jesus' crucifixion here. And indeed, out of all that I have said and done, he will honor me, he will take from me and deliver it to you. Everything the Father has is now given to me, and that is why I've said he takes from me and delivers to you. Here you see that threefoldness. It originates with the Father, comes through the Son, and is accomplished in the Holy Spirit. That's what's going on here. And the Holy Spirit then points us to Jesus, who then reveals the Father. It's such a cool gig. So here's the thing. I want to ask the question, why did Jesus have to go before the Holy Spirit came? What is up with that? And there's a number of things that could be said about that, but I'll, I'll just review three. One is this. If Jesus had stayed on earth in his incarnate form, let's say he's five foot four and weighs 128 pounds. I'm just making that up. But that'd be about the average height and weight of a first century Jewish male. So we'll, we'll go with that. Here Jesus is five foot four living in Jerusalem. If, if, if he had stayed there, well, then the movement that he inaugurated, the kingdom of God, uh, that would have been a geographically defined movement. All eyes would always be on Jerusalem where Jesus is. But see, God doesn't want a geographically defined movement, doesn't want a geographically defined religion. The kingdom is intended to be global. Uh, The the enemy had seized this entire earth, and God wants the whole thing back. And so this must be a global movement, not a landlocked movement, not something that's located at a particular place. It's supposed to be all over this this earth. So that's why Jesus, uh, one of the last things he said in Matthew 28, I think it was the last thing he said. He said, get out of here and go into all nations. Get out of here. It took the disciples a long time to do that. But uh, he says, this isn't supposed to be limited to Jerusalem. No, it's not supposed to be centered in Jerusalem. It's, it's, it's supposed to be all over the place. So God wanted to go global. And to do that, well, he would have to have some other means than just being in a 5-foot, 428-pound body. Uh, the, hence, the Holy Spirit is given to all, anywhere, anytime, who will receive him. Second thing is this. If Jesus had remained in his 5-foot, 4 body in Jerusalem... It would be kind of hard for everybody to have a personal relationship with him. Uh, Think about it. Think of of the line, the waiting list, to have a 10-minute appointment with Jesus. Try getting an appointment with the Pope uh, or with with, with Obama. Uh, Good luck on that. This would have been impossible to even get a 10-minute sit-down with him, let alone have an intimate personal relationship with him. Now, but see, God wants a, a movement where, where people are going to be living, growing in this intimate relationship with, with Jesus Christ. And for people all over the globe to be able to have an intimate relation with Jesus Christ, Jesus is going to have to somehow be available all over the globe. And so Jesus has to leave for the Holy Spirit to be sent. And he is the Spirit of Jesus. The third thing is this. If Jesus had remained in his five foot four, 128-pound body in Jerusalem... Um, well, God's presence would be in him because he's God incarnate, but, but it wouldn't, that wouldn't change us. We wouldn't be transformed by that. Uh, if he had stayed in Jerusalem, it's, it's, it's remained down here on earth, um, he'd just be kind of giving instructions, texting or something, memos or whatever, and we would try to carry out those instructions, but we'd have to do it on our own power. We'd still be the same people that we are. But see, God didn't want another religion where people are trying to obey rules on their own power. What he's aiming at is not just a religion that honors Jesus, that we would still have if he was here on earth, but he wants a, a Jesus-empowering faith. Not just a Jesus-honoring faith, but a Jesus-empowering faith. 
He's looking for a kingdom of people who aren't just trying to carry out good stuff. He wants a, pe- a, a, a people who are fundamentally transformed, supernaturally transformed from the inside out. And that means they have to have a power within that is not their own. And so Jesus ascends so that the Spirit of God can descend to anybody who will simply receive him. Um, and hence, we now have available this, this wonderful uh, way in which God is God, our friend, the Holy Spirit. God ends up sending the friend to live in us. And, and because now God's way of dwelling on the planet is through the friend, through the advocate, the comforter, now the kingdom of God can be a global movement. It can be a one that has personal relationships. Everyone has personal relationships with Jesus because we can have a 24-7 because he's living in us. And it's one in which people are being transformed from the inside out. Uh, the Spirit of God is called the Spirit of Christ a number of times. This is the same Holy Spirit that was dwelling in Christ and that Christ perfectly manifested. And because it's the Spirit of Christ, he, the minute He comes into our lives, when we surrender, He begins to move us in a Christ-like direction. He, he's in the process of transforming us into the likeness of Christ. He is splicing in, as it were, the DNA of the kingdom. We sang about this the last song. We've got his blood running through our veins. Well, that, that's, that, that's really quite true. He, his DNA, the DNA of, of the Son of God is being woven into our DNA. It's a little bit like this. And this is going to be a truly awful analogy. Uh, it's the best I could come up with. But I've learned that actually sometimes my worst analogies end up being the best because people remember them because they're so bad. So there you go. They should, they should teach that in preaching class. Use terrible analogies because those are the best. Uh, so here, here's this one. Some of you, I sure, I'm sure, uh, are old enough to remember this movie. Uh, 1986, starring Jeffrey Goldblum, The Fly. Yeah. Who, who saw that? I see uh, quite a few of you. It, it was a pretty good show for the time. Here's the thing. So he, he, it's about Seth, who is this mad scientist. And he invents... He's so brilliant, he invents these, these, these telepods that can instantly transport people. Uh, you're in this telepod, and then you push a button, and then you're in this one. It's just like the Star Trek thing, you know? So you get transported instantaneously. Cool gig. Unfortunately, the first time he tries one of these things out, a fly gets in there. And so when he's transported, I guess that's how the mechanism of this telepod works. Your genes get broken down, they get built up again or something. But the, the, the DNA of the fly got mixed with his DNA which is not good. And so, I don't, I give you a spoiler alert, but I am going to spoil it, so why give the alert? Uh, the rest of the movie is about him turning into a fly, or kind of a fly-like creature. He's half human, half fly. So here's a picture of him when he's, early on, he's just starting to notice, man, I'm getting bad acne. And, uh, uh, you know, hair's growing where it's not supposed to grow. Oh, does that mean that I'm turning into a fly? Uh, every guy over 50 is turning into a fly. His teeth, his, his teeth are getting weird. If you look on his back, he's starting to sprout some wings. He's turning into a fly. Ooh. He's starting to act like a fly. You know, flies are always doing that kind of thing. Where they're like, you ever notice that? They're always washing their eyes. Well, he, he, he starts acting like a fly. Uh, it, it's a bad thing. Um, so the moral of the story, folks, is make sure you check your telepod before you get transported so there's no insect in there. That's really not good. You, you, you want to wake up tomorrow morning, find out you're turning into an ant. Or, or a fly. Or, or the worst would be a centipede. <laughs> centipede. I hate centipedes. My commitment to nonviolence gets pushed to the max when I have to take care of a centipede. I had one rear at me. It, it, it raised up like, like, like an alien. And I was like, whoa. 
And there's, why are we afraid of bugs? They're so little. But imagine waking up one morning and you're starting to become a centipede. Oh, squish me now. <laughs> and your poor spouse, if this happens, honey, those extra legs you're growing are not attractive on you. And, you, and those antlers, get rid of those. This is just, okay. <laughs> I warned you. I told you this is going to be a really awful analogy. I hope there's not an unbeliever in the house saying, is that what's going to happen to me if I surrender my life to Christ? <laughs> no. As ugly as that is, that's how beautiful the analogy is if you apply it right here. Okay, so it's something like, that's something like, a little bit like, a wee bit like, kind of like, by a stretch like. Uh, what happens when we surrender to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in and, and takes up residence and it begins to fuse the DNA of the kingdom, the DNA of our Father, into us. And we begin to look like Jesus. We begin to think like Jesus, begin to love like Jesus, begin to have compassion uh, like Jesus. All that is his becomes ours. He gives it to us. Uh, God's plan really is, is, is this. Uh, you know, you couldn't evangelize the world with this five foot 428 pound uh, one guy. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't do that. So what is the ingenious plan? What he does He's, he's, he brings them up and then sends the spirit of Jesus all over the planet. And so now he's making Jesus clones. <laughs> Let's clone the guy. And that way we can take over the whole planet. And that is the plan of the king. That's the plan of the kingdom. Uh, you have Jesus clones everywhere. If someone was going to write a movie or could produce a movie on the kingdom, they could call it the invasion of the Jesus clones. Invasion of the Jesus clones. This time it's personal. No, it, that, that's, really what, <laughs> that's really what he's getting into. The base of the Jesus clones. He's cloning them. So this is why Paul can say things like this in Galatians 3. He says, you know, uh, my, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth. Uh, great analogy for a guy to give. Well, what do you know about childbirth, Paul? <laughs> Anyways, uh, I, I'm sure he's heard of it. So he's in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And he's kind of mixing metaphors here. But he's saying, I'm in labor pains because he is the one who introduced these people to Christ. And he wants so badly to see Christ formed in them. So it's like he's in labor pains for them to get pregnant. Uh, they're already, already pregnant. And he wants Christ to be formed in them. Bottom line is, we're, if you're surrendered to Christ, you're carrying around something inside of you. You're pregnant with something. His name is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And he, he's being formed in us. Uh, and the goal here is for him to, uh, for the character of Jesus Christ to be fully ours. And um, so his character becomes our character. His power becomes our power. His love becomes our love. His grace becomes our grace. And now God can use you uh, to advance the kingdom. Jesus clones everywhere, taking over the world. Now, I, I, I want to be clear about something. This does not mean that you lose your DNA. God isn't interested in taking away your unique personality and, and having these Jesus clones be exactly alike. That would be really, really boring, a world of people who are absolutely identical. Uh, and God never does boring. No, he made you you because you're, you're the only you there is. You're absolutely, utterly, one-of-a-kind, unique you, and you will be that throughout all eternity. And that's beautiful. What the Spirit does is he doesn't take away you. He enhances you. He makes you a better you. You're more unique. He wants to make the best you you can be, and the best you that you can be is the Jesus version of you. So he's, the Spirit is at work, splicing the DNA of, of Jesus into us so that we become a, a, a you version of Jesus and a Jesus version of you, and that's the best you that you could possibly be. Uh, he doesn't rob anything. The only thing he takes away are the parts of us that aren't the best part of us, that old self, the old nature. All the things that are incompatible with the character of Jesus, 
those things get deleted. Uh, and they need to get deleted if we're going to manifest the character of Christ in us. He has to get, splice out our corrupted, deluded, twisted DNA of the old self, the old way of doing things. Where it naturally inclined us in ways that weren't Christ-like. He has to slice that out in order to slice into us the DNA so we increasingly become inclined towards Christ-like stuff. Now here's the thing. Whereas in the, the movie The Fly, that happened automatically. It was a physical process. Seth didn't want that. It's just that his DNA got corrupted with his fly's DNA, so he starts turning into a fly. He didn't have to will that. He didn't have to do anything. It just happened to him. But see, the Holy Spirit doesn't operate like that. The Holy Spirit, this isn't a physical process we're talking about. We're talking about a relational process, a spiritual process. And so the Holy Spirit doesn't force himself on anybody. In fact, God, the God who's revealed in Jesus Christ, doesn't force himself on anybody. Uh, this is why we read things like this in the Bible, First Thessalonians. It says, don't suppress the Spirit. Apparently, we, you can suppress the Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God in Ephesians. And we grieve the Holy Spirit of God when we suppress the Holy Spirit of God, when we ignore Him, when we block Him. I know there's a lot of Christians who believe that they still hold on to really this, this power trip pagan conception of God controlling everything, this Zeus-like deity who controls everything. He's into this power trip. He decrees all that comes to pass. And they say nothing can thwart His will. Nothing can thwart His will. And they think they're giving God a compliment when they say that. Though if nothing can thwart his will, that means that everything is his will, which means that his will is involved in every child kidnapping and every rape and every murder and every, every suicide bomber and every, every, every kid sold into sexual trafficking and every kid who was ever gassed in a gas chamber. And I don't think you're really complimenting God by saying that. These two verses alone should be enough to dispel that, 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 that idea of God. Don't suppress the Holy Spirit, which means that the Holy Spirit is suppressible. Yes, God is God Almighty. He's God Almighty, all-powerful. But that doesn't mean he exercises all of his power to control everything. Some people think, well, it's a weak God. It's a weak God. If, 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 someone can, if I can thwart God's will, then I'm stronger than God. And that just shows that you're into a power game. Uh, look at, this isn't a weak God. I, I like what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity when he says, some people think it's weak that an omnipotent God would create a being who could say no to it. No, no to him, but I think it's the greatest act of omnipotence. The greatest act of omnipotence is creating a being who can say yes or no to you because that means this God created a being that you can have a relationship with. See, God's not into a power trip. He's into a relationship trip. And if you're going to have a relationship with somebody, they have to have some personality. They have to have a will. They have to have, have some say-so. It's got to be a mutual thing. It's not a weak God. It's a relational God. And see, folks, so the Holy Spirit is a friend. The Holy Spirit is not a dictator. He's not a tyrant. He's not a control freak. Uh, no, he's not a bully. He is a, he's a friend, and friends honor the personhood and the freedom of their friends. And so the Holy Spirit isn't going to go to places not invited. He only will go as far as we invite him to, which means, folks, we have, we have a role to play in this process. We're decision makers. God made us like this. Our decisions affect the degree to which this DNA is spliced into us, and so therefore the degree to which the Spirit of God is manifested in us. God made us decision makers, even in the beginning. He gave us responsibilities to care for the land and the animals. Uh, and that's, that's, he's a lover of freedom because he's a lover of relationship. And Jesus Christ, when he came back, he came in part to restore to us the authority that we were supposed to have on this earth because we surrendered it when we fell into the devil's hands. And Jesus came to get a bride. And unlike some husbands, he wants a bride who has her own mind and, can, and, and has her own will. 
and has her own authority. He wants a bride who will rule with him, it says. Three times in the New Testament, a bride who will reign with him on earth, who's got some sass, who's got some authority. Who knows who she is? Uh, and, and so he doesn't want a puppet wife, a Stepford wife. No, he wants a wife that he, he doesn't want to control this wife. No, he, he wants his wife to know the authority that she's got. That's why Paul says that we're co-workers with God. We work alongside of God. We're partners with God. Uh, that means there's stuff that we do, decisions that we make. And our job is to make decisions that, that bring about God's will on earth as it is in heaven. So, so God will not coerce himself into our life. The Holy Spirit works by invitation. Will you let him? It requires our participation. I, I've met folks who say things like this. Oh, I'm just waiting on God to take this sin away from me. Take it away, God. And they think that God's going to wave his magical wand, and all of a sudden they're not going to want to look at porn anymore. Or they're not going to want to you know, abuse alcohol or do drugs or whatever the gig is. Oh, take it away, take it away. Guess it's not today. <laughs> Turn on the computer. Uh, <laughs> am I talking to somebody here? <laughs> well, see, if you're waiting on God to take it away, chances are you're going to be talking for, waiting for a long time. Um, that, that's not the way the Holy Spirit do. Uh, he's not going to just coerce his way in there. God will not lobotomize you to bring about a change. In part because he wants you to know that you've got authority to do this. You've got authority. Uh, You've got say-so, and it's an important thing. And so he doesn't want to lobotomize you. Does it change you? No, he wants you to take authority over this. Now, the the Spirit is there to empower us to do that, but there's a yes that we've got to give in in bringing this whole thing about. Uh, It's not just a control over kind of a gig. If you're waiting on God, you'll be waiting a long time because the truth is God is already at work in you. The Spirit is trying to splice the DNA in you. He's already doing that. Don't wait for God. He's waiting for you. <laughs> He's waiting for you to say yes. Take away. Do, do, work in my life. Uh, empower me to walk in a different way. So folks, if, if, the, if the DNA of God's perfect love is going to be spliced into our life, that means there's some stuff that's got to get deleted, like everything that's inconsistent with that love. If God's, the DNA of God's perfect love is going to be sliced into our life, that means we've got to be willing to let go of our anger and our bitterness and unforgiveness and our self-centeredness and our pride and our hedonism and all the other things that, that block the flow of that coming into our life. And, and if, if, if God's going to weave uh, the, the DNA of his holiness into our life, that means we've got to be willing to crucify some sin. And if he's going to weave his humility into our life, that means we've got to crucify our pride. If he's going to will his, weave his compassion into our life, that means we've got to crucify our apathy. And so on for every other aspect of, of, of Christ's character being woven into our life. There's a letting go that has to happen on our part. And to the degree that we don't let go, to the degree that we hang on to the old self, which is already dead, we just like to carry around a corpse sometimes. But to the degree that we hold on to that, we suppress the Holy Spirit. We suppress our friend, which means we grieve our friend. All right? Our job is to let that, let that go. If the Holy Spirit reveals it to us, you let it go. Now, here's the thing. There's another way that we can suppress the Holy Spirit. One is by clinging to old stuff or sitting on our butts waiting for God to do everything. The other is by thinking that God does nothing and that it's all up to us to do it. That's an, another, it, it's a better way, a better looking way of suppressing the Holy Spirit, but it's suppressing the Holy Spirit all the same. So a lot of times folks I found, they, they, for example, read Galatians 5 where we find the fruit of the Spirit talked about. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. And they, they read the love and the joy and the peace, but what they hear is, I'm supposed to be loving, peaceful, and joyful. If I'm a good Christian, I will have love, joy, and peace in my life. So I better start doing that. Um, 
And so we turn the fruit of the Spirit into a list of oughts and shoulds. If you're a good Christian, you'd be loving. You'd be, the Bible says rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. We're saying, well, we have, we have a peace that passes understanding. What are you doing being so anxious? Come on, buck up. You're supposed to be, supposed to be peaceful and loving, joyful. And we, and we turn it into this uh, behavioral achievement contest uh, that we think we have to fulfill on our own effort. And it do not work. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't work like that. What you do is you end up creating a community of people who become specialists at acting a certain way because they're not that way. So I, I might have disdain for you, but since I, I want to be a good Christian and Christians are supposed to be loving, I'll hide the disdain I have for you. I'll put on a nice smile. I'll grind my teeth and I'll say, I love you in the Lord. They always put that in the Lord part because that means I really hate you, but I'm supposed to say this. <laughs> And then, then, you know, you can be all stressed out, you're freaking out, you got all this anxiety, but good Christians are supposed to have a peace that passes understanding, the peace of Jesus is always right on your heart. So bam, I'm ready to go, put it on. So you hide your anxiety and put on a nice, calm behavior. And you can be all depressed, oh, you're just down in the dumps, but Christians are supposed to be joyful, rejoice always, and so you hide that depression and you put on a smile face. And then you have a whole community of people who are good at that, and they call it the fruit of the Spirit, even though it's nothing but a work of the flesh. And all you see to do it is suppressing the Spirit, and hiding everything about your life that needs to be addressed. And that's the very definition of hypocrisy, a, a duality. Your inner and outer worlds do not match. And see, when you suppress the spirit like that and hide everything that needs to be addressed, you just make yourself sicker. It, it is as dumb and damaging as trying to pretend that you're not sick by acting healthy. You're trying to put on a healthy demeanor because you're really sick. That just means you're not going to be trying to get whole. You're, just, you're too busy faking that you are already whole. It is damaging and destructive. The first step to getting healthy is to stop trying to look healthy and admit that you're sick. And the minute you do that, now you're giving the Holy Spirit some room to begin a healing process in you and to begin to bring about healing in your life. The bottom line, folks, is this. I'm not the brightest bulb in the room, but I think the, whole, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is called the fruit of the Holy Spirit because it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Brilliant, right? It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which if it means anything, it's got to mean it's not the fruit of your labor, not the fruit of your effort, not the fruit of your trying harder, not the fruit of your religious striving, not the fruit of your trying to look good. No, it's the fruit of the Spirit because only the Spirit can produce this kind of fruit. You can do some things on your own striving for sure, like looking like you're joyful when you're not and looking like you're loving when you're not and acting like you're peaceful when you're not. You, You can crank out that kind of behavior and those kind of words, but you cannot on your own effort. You cannot. I cannot. None of us can. Make ourselves people who are who are genuinely have the perfect love of God in our life. Uh, I mark said, go, try. Ooh, just work at it, work at it, work at it. It's not the kind of thing you can inch your way to by, by your effort. Uh, none of us. You can crank out joyful appearance, maybe, but, but you can't make yourself joyful just by willing it. If that, if that was possible, we'd all be joyful all the time. Just, I, I tell you, I'm just going to... No, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. Or, or, be peaceful. Just take, take, take your peace pill and, and be peaceful. Um, they have peace pills, don't they? Uh, Jesus pills. No, you see, you can't have enough Jesus vitamin pills to make you, through your own effort, become a truly loving, a truly joyful, a truly peaceful, a truly patient, compassionate person. This is, this is something that only the Holy Spirit can do. I think you know, Jesus at one point said, without me, you can do nothing. And this is part of what he was getting at. Without me, you can do nothing. And last I checked, nothing means nothing. Not, nil, nada, zero, zippo, zilch, Nothing. Nothing of kingdom value anyways. You can do a lot of behavioral stuff, but in terms of being fundamentally transformed, uh, it's all about the Holy Spirit. We are in desperate need of the Holy Spirit. If we didn't need the Holy Spirit, he wouldn't have sent him. 
But see, we do need the Holy Spirit. We, can, we can't even believe in Jesus genuinely on our own effort. No, it, it, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. He doesn't make us believe, but he does empower us to believe if we yield to him and, uh, and, and, and go in the direction that he wants uh, to take us. The truth is, folks, is this. Uh, without him, we can do nothing, but with him, we can do everything. Uh, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We have, think about this, folks. Listen up. Podrissers, listen up. Stop doing the dishes, whatever you're doing. Um, if you're driving, however, keep driving. But um, if, you're surrendered to, if you're surrendered to Jesus right now, you have within you the Spirit of God Almighty, who is himself God Almighty. Take a deep breath. You are filled with this power. You have the spirit of the creator in you. You have the spirit of the one who spoke everything into existence. Uh, you have the spirit of the one who holds everything in existence. You have the spirit of almighty God. The spirit of the one who rose Jesus from the dead abides in you. The spirit of, of the one who is the king of all kings and the lord of all lords and the alpha and the omega and the beginning and the end and the, and the, the savior. That spirit, his same spirit resides within you. That power is within you. In fact, the truth is, if you're surrendered to Christ, then you already have. If, if the Holy Spirit is God, and he is, then if God's in you, and he is, if you surrender to him, then you are already full of his love and already full of his joy, already full of his peace and his patience and, and all of that. You've got the whole thing inside of you. It's not just a question of how much of it is going to get released. You've already got it. How much will it be released? You know, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will be like a spring of living water welling up inside of us, John 7. A, a never-ending gusher, a geyser, an old faithful explosion of, of, of God's stuff in, in, in us. But see, for that to happen, the cork has got to be removed. Uh, we've got it there. It's all there, ready to come out, bursting to come out. The question is, is, are we suppressing it? And we have the power to suppress it. Are we putting a cork in that thing? A cork either by sitting on our butts saying, oh, God, take it away someday and not doing anything, or a cork because we're trying to do everything. The one thing we're supposed to do is yield, yield, invite, and be willing to walk in any direction he calls us to walk, to get rid of the bad DNA in us, the old self-DNA. Let the gusher flow. Let it flow, let it flow, let it flow. One, one, one final thing, it's this. Um, where people are learning how to let the spirit flow and get out of the way and uncork that geyser, you'll find people who are no longer needing to hide stuff. People hide stuff because they are trying to get approval and acceptance and awards and whatever. Well, the Holy Spirit brings us to Jesus, right? The Father comes to us through Jesus, grabs us in the Son. The Spirit then takes us to Jesus, who reveals the Father and reconciles us to the Father. And, and, and so as the Spirit moves, we learn that we get all of our life and all of our worth and all of our significance from Jesus Christ. And when you know you get all your life and worth of significance from Jesus Christ, you no longer need a point system, right? You don't, you realize that, that there's nothing to be gained by hiding stuff and nothing to be lost by coming out with stuff because the kingdom of God isn't a point system. Where the Spirit of God is moving, people are learning that God isn't Santa Claus, which is a real good revelation. He's not up to giving presents to good boys and girls and shaming the bad boys and girls. No, no, he's not like that at all. And the kingdom of God isn't some kind of club of good deed doers. Uh, no, the kingdom of God is simply a community of people, a community of real people, 
community of real people who realize that they are real sinners. And, and, and they've met a real Savior who brings them real salvation because he loves them with a real love and pours on them real grace and gives them real forgiveness and sends forth a real Holy Spirit who is in the process of bringing about a real transformation in us as he's on our way to experiencing a real eternity that's going to be really, 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 really good. That's the kingdom of God right there, in a nutshell. You can quote me on that. It's about reality. And so when the Holy Spirit's moving, you'll find people who are dealing with reality. A, a, a people who know that there's no point in hiding and there's nothing lost with confessing. The Spirit of grace comes and it collapses the point system. No point system. Uh, no, we, we've got all the points we need in Jesus Christ. None can be given, none can be taken. He's got it all. And you'll find, therefore, people who know how to speak the truth in love. You know, the word truth, Jesus said the, the, the Spirit will lead us into all truth. The word truth in Greek is aletheia. And it literally means to, to uncover, to be unconcealed. And so the Spirit is one who brings things out in the open. And he brings things that we learn out in the open. He unveils truth to our brains, but he also just brings the truthful people. To lead us into all truth means he leads us into uncoveredness, unveiledness. And so the kingdom of God is supposed to be a kingdom of people who are uncovered. And I'm not talking physically. I'm, I'm talking in terms of our honesty. We all need context where we know that we are loved unconditionally and therefore can be honest about everything and therefore can bring stuff out of hiding. The kingdom of God is supposed to be a community of people who know the good of confessing sin and admitting shortcomings. It's a community that looks as messy as reality actually is. And people don't look as sick as they actually are because they're not trying to appear any, any other way. If you come upon a group of people that look too good to be true, it's probably because they are too good to be true. And I'd move on if I were you without more ado. Uh, my, this is my Dr. Seuss moment. Um, yeah, it, it, it's because it, the, uh, the sickest people on the planet are the ones who look the best. Because there's stuff in everything that doesn't look good. It's about honesty. And see, this is another way the Holy Spirit transforms us. He uses the community of people who are getting the love of God and they're forgiving the love of God. That's unconditional, which frees people to be honest, in appropriate context to be honest, which means that we can now deal with the stuff that is cork in the Holy Spirit and deal with the stuff that wounds us and afflicts us. Uh, and, and we can invite people to help us walk this out. That's also Holy Spirit stuff. Invite them to ask questions about us or to point out when they notice that we're starting to pick up uh, uh, an attitude that we, we, we lost a year ago. Because that stuff comes back on you if you're not vigilant. Uh, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. So by means of the Holy Spirit... The kingdom of God has gone global, the kingdom of God has become personal, and the kingdom of God has become transformational. And uh, by this means, the invasion of the Jesus colognes is going to work. Amen. It is already at work. We're part of it. So I, I want to end with doing a little exercise here, real briefly. i got a few minutes. Uh, not enough minutes, but I can do it. Um, first question is this. And I'd like to ask a, a piano a person, will you play piano for me? I like, music is, the reason for music uh, in, in some spiritual exercises is that music is a tool of God that helps open us up. I don't know if you found that. Try it in your devotional life. Uh, you're, you're, you're just, it, it's, a, it's a gift. Now, it doesn't affect everyone equally, but, but it's a gift. So at any moment, you can start playing the piano. Otherwise, I'll start singing, and that will totally squench the spirit. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, so you don't have this power of the Holy Spirit abiding in your life, if you want that, all you have to do is admit that you are in need of a Savior, because you are, and ask Him to fill your heart. Uh, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, turn the controls of your life over to Him. That's what it is to call Him Lord. 
And then if you make that decision this morning, you can do it just right now. Come up here and talk to the folks after service, and they'd be happy to explain to you uh, how to get started on this walk with, with Christ. For those of us who are already surrendered, if it helps, close your eyes. Cause I, I want us to get in touch with the Holy Spirit. For a moment, silence the chatter in your brain. And open up your heart to receive whatever the Holy Spirit's going to give you. And I want to ask this question. And if you dare to, I encourage you to ask this question. Holy Spirit, reveal to us an area of our life that is suppressing you and grieving you. Reveal it. Show it to us right now. Some of us already know what it is. Some of us maybe are going to be surprised. It could be an attitude. It could be a behavior. It could be a possession you're clinging to. It could be a habit. It could be how you spend your time or how you spend your money. I just let the Holy Spirit reveal to you. And, and ask Him to represent this. Uh, imagine your hands out in front of you. And hold this thing that he's just revealed in your hands. Uh, the Holy Spirit's very imaginative on how he would represent this. Maybe a symbol or, or whatever. But see that thing in your hands. And if you're willing, I want you to give that to Jesus. See Jesus in front of you got those eyes that always radiate love because he is your friend and his hands are outstretched towards you those nail scarred hands and just take that thing that has been corking the Holy Spirit inhibiting the DNA getting spliced into you and give it over to him just surrender to him put it into his hands and I'm, I'm betting that some folks here have a little fear about this because Maybe you don't even know how you can do life without this thing. You've always had it there. Or maybe for some it's going to involve some pain. Some discomfort. The Holy Spirit will help you. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Have the courage to let this over. And remember that Jesus, what he was willing to suffer for your sake. This is, this is you suffering to be more conformed to him. And so embrace it. And now watch that thing that you just put in his hands. It just goes up in smoke. It just vanishes. Because the truth is, that thing was dead 2,000 years ago. You just gave it life by hanging on to it with your old self. And he says it is finished. Now, if you just went through this exercise, I guarantee you that by the end of today, or the end of this week anyways... At some point, your old self, which is all habitual, is going to try to pick it up again. And the, the enemy is out there to, to encourage that. And when that happens, don't be surprised. It's going to happen. Just do this exercise again. And just, we're to crucify ourselves daily, Paul says. So just keep on offering that thing up. And in time, that becomes a new habit. And that becomes, now, now it becomes, you naturally do it. But it takes time. And it may involve suffering. Be willing to embrace that. One last thing. If some you saw that thing in your life, but you are not ready to let that go. You don't want to let that go. Don't let the devil jump on you and drive you into the ground. 
But also don't ignore this. Like what we usually do is pretend like we didn't see it. You know, don't pretend like you didn't see what you just saw. You just, you saw it. You know what it is. Just be honest with God. Just be honest. Exactly where you're at is where you're at. And he'll meet you where you're at. You don't want to give it up and say you don't want to give it up. But can you ask one further thing? And that is this. I don't want to give it up. Be honest. He'll, he'll meet you where you're at. But can you give him anything? Like, can you ask him, will you help change my wants? Make me want to want to give it up. Help me want to want to give it up. And, and if you persist in that, you're, you're always inviting more influence into your life. And eventually your wants are going to change. He's your friend. He's not going to break up with you. He's your friend. He still smiles at you. He just, he grieves because he knows this. You don't see it yet, but this is really not the best you. And this isn't good for you. And he'd love to take that off your hands. But you want to hang on to it? He's still going to love you. But just keep on inviting him. Just keep an honest, inviting relationship to the Holy Spirit who is your friend. Could we stand? If you're here this morning and have any need whatsoever that could use prayer, I encourage you to come up here and pray with folks. Could be about this topic, could be about something totally unrelated, uh, but they're available. And if you surrendered your life to Christ this morning, come up here and talk to these folks and they'll help you get started on, on the walk with God. Fathers, we leave this place. I pray, Lord God, that we do it as people who aspire to be Jesus' clones. I pray, Lord God, that, that we would do it with a commitment to be surrendering over all the things that you reveal about us uh, that are, is corking the flow of the geyser in our life. Thank you, God, for being our friend. Thank you for being our advocate, for, for our, our, our parakletos, being on our side, working on our behalf, in our corner. No ifs, ands, or buts. Thank you, Father, for the outrageous love you pour upon us and pour through us. Thank you, Lord, for living inside of us. Help us to tap into that power, to live by that power, to stop doing things on our own effort, to learn how to yield, to learn how to let go of that, that we may manifest the beautiful character of God to all people around us as you spread your kingdom in through us. In Jesus' name we pray and all the aspiring clones said. And God bless you guys. Love you. Go out and love on the world.